Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. And we are here for another episode of the Resolve podcast. I have the distinction and pleasure. I think a lot of these interviews so far are with people that I have a professional connection to in the mental health world who are role models uh, for me in the mental health world. And one of those people is Leanne Matlow, who I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of months, and I'm very excited to bring her on. So Leanne, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Noah. So we're going to try and uh, as much as we can today, but first and foremost, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you spend your time. I came to my journey to becoming a CBT counselor, started um, through education. I was a teacher, I was a guidance counselor, I worked in special ed. And as I tell my clients one-on-one, I came quickly real- to realize that there's lots of people who... Um, can you know connect with kids and help them with their reading and writing and what I became most interested in was finding out what was stopping them from being successful other than just not simple skills but skills and a group of skills that they lack which was really about understanding the way they think understanding how anxiety plays a role in their lives that they that there wasn't very many people who was work who were working with children and adolescents in particular, helping them sort of deal with the way they're thinking and helping them understand that um, it has a huge impact on their success. So um, I did my training in cognitive behavior therapy and for the last now 12 years, I've been working, doing counseling, doing workshops for teachers and parents and groups trying to help spread the um, education and, and not have people feel alone. Mental health has just the words um, create, seem to create a lot of tension and stress in their own right because of the stigma attached to it. And the reason I love working with children and young people is because they don't have it. They wanna talk, they wanna get better, they wanna learn for the most part and nothing more helpful than a willing client. And uh, it's very important because I think there is all I know that there's always help and there's always hope. So we need to be sending that message on instead of just giving people labels and, and sort of having them be defined by their label of a diagnosis as opposed to who they really are. Because some of the most successful people in the world in past, present, and probably in the future, may have had a mental health diagnosis. And no yet, way. I don't uh, believe it. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, do so, I think everyone knows that you can do a very quick research and find out <laughs> that's, you know, every inventor, painter, right. you know, people who are, think maybe a little bit outside the box, that also coupled with people who are amazing scientists and surgeons and you know, I, they talk about Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin and all these, you know, fathers of, of great society 
great question mark, um, but societies anyway, who have ha- had to overcome challenges. And, and we hear so many words that have just become part of our language, you know, resilience, especially in this pandemic period. But I feel, unfortunately, that a lot of them are empty because we don't bother to give people context to them. And yet those are the soft skills. You, you can learn your history and your geography anytime, but being an empathetic human being that can overcome challenges and help someone else, I feel like that would make a better society. So we should be teaching these skills um, to young people uh, from a, a very early age instead of waiting till they have a problem and then feeling you know very alone and then they're dealing with it one-on-one there's a lot there that i think is super important number one is that you started you were a part of education system being a part of the education system means some of school is about learning how to read learning how to write learning how to edit learning how to express yourself learning skills such as math and everything that you could possibly imagine learning how to be a part of a team, learning how to play sports, learning how to do drama. There's all these really important things that we learn in school. And then everybody always says, of course, it's the meta skills within those things that you learn. And what you noticed is that for you, it wasn't enough to do one of those types of skills. It wasn't enough to do reading or writing per se. This was about the whole other set of skills. We'll call them mental health skills. We'll call them life skills. We'll call them emotional intelligence skills and the ability to think clearer and the ability to see the ways and patterns of thinking and how they impact ourselves, all these other things in life, positive life skills, all these other things that we sort of don't put in part of the education system. We might say they come through osmosis, through teachers, the way they communicate with their students, through parents, through the house, through things like that, through religion, through community life. But but yet to be emphasized as a fundamental staple. And so you said, first of all, that's a big, big picture thing. But you want on a personal level, wanted to start helping students with that kind of stuff, obviously inspired some of the change. And then now you're getting to something a bit more broad, which is education for mental health, which is different than the the model of reactivity. So can you tell me a little bit about that? So working one on one or working, you know, with groups has been a lot of my work, but, you know, sitting down, actually, I always say good things happen over a cup of coffee. And I was sitting with my husband one day and he said, so what's the dream? How could you make this? What would you want to do? And so I said, I want more people to get this message quicker um, and maybe even before they need it. Right. We were, as you use the word reactive, we were very reactive when we deal with children and, and, even just in general in society, instead of being proactive. Six years ago, I began something that I called Mental Health Empowerment Day. A little bit of a misnomer because it's not really a day. It's really, uh, it's become, now we've had six events um, and we have our seventh one coming up March 2nd. But what what I try to do is, or why I created it was for three things. One was to end stigma. I, I don't want to dispel because they have the power of my telephone and they're very important to the world and they own lots of things, but they've created this um, Bell Let's Talk Day. And, and my problem with it is it doesn't have any substance to it. It's let's talk. Okay, wh- where are the topics? Like, so 
Well, let's talk by saying let's talk. That's that's where we're at right now. Let's talk by saying let's talk. It's absolutely wonderful that they have the money and the power to have, you know, celebrities stand up and say that they've dealt with issues. And I, I love that. I think that's great. But I think we need to have more substance to it. So the first reason was to end, I created mental primaries to end stigma. Let's get the word mental health on the table. It could be something discussed at a dinner table. What happens is the words mental health coming from, you know, older generations always had this negative thing that it's crazy, you're nuts, or you get should be locked up, just really horrific terminology used with it. And also this idea that it was always happening other, in other places or to someone else. And you don't have to be to go too far into the statistics, especially as we're in still coming out of this pandemic, that it, it's, you know, it, it's at least 25%. And some people say 33 and some people say 50% of the people in the world have, could have, or do have. And, and if you look at the numbers for teenagers in particular, right? 25% of the of mental health issues often begin under 21. Mm-hmm. So how could it be in everyone else's house and not yours? I'm not judging people, but I am saying the more you know, the more you can do. And, and, there, and that's what's amazing about this topic is there are things we can be doing. So we should just all be better. So I want to end stigma. I want to spread education. I think education is probably the way out of this, except for, uh, you know, obviously people who are the most severe who will need help, but knowledge is power. If we can educate people, they're going to possibly treat somebody with more empathy um, because they talk about mental health as, you know, you don't see the cast, but that doesn't mean the person isn't broken, quote unquote. And we also need to be um, more, not only more understanding, but there are things we can be doing to be proactive if we know. And the last thing is to build community. Any diagnosis, anyone who's a parent or alive right now, you know, if something, if you get a diagnosis, the first thing you do is you feel very alone. I must be the only one in the world that has to deal with this. And that's very scary. And, and so I think the more we get the word out there, show people that they're not alone, you know, we share best practices, we share best resources and, and we're all better for it, like most things in, in humanity. So we have, a, we have Mental Health Empowerment Day, which I want you to tell me the details of, but essentially the goal is to be a part of the not just let's talk, but let's do more. Let's reduce the stigma in that. Stigmatize, educate, and build community. Stigmatize, destigmatize, educate, and build community. That's it. That's what right. I want to do. Right. And those all feed into each other because a community... Absolutely is by definition, a community of people talking about mental health is there, there's not a stigma. Everybody's the same there. Yes. If you're, if you're, if you're part of a community, the stigma goes lower. If you're part of a community, you're going to be sharing, you're going to be speaking and you're going to be educating each other uh, mm-hmm. as much as possible. And I think, so my reaction with all of the mental health awareness that's going on is it's really important. And at the same time, it's, it's, it's just human. It's just talking about life and humanity uh, you know, anxiety, all these things are just normal. They're like, not right. And it's not a new topic. No, it's like, not a new topic. I've been talking about it for thousands you can of look years. Look in the Bible. It's right. there. Go back. Like this has been thousands of years. People yes. have, 
have had to deal with anxiety. People have had to deal with right. issues around um, dealing with their moods. So yes, but why, you know, you can also look back in books and in history and see that it was often, you know, people were mistreated because of it yeah. and, and that it was viewed as um, something that couldn't be cured, let alone managed. Mm -hmm. And, and that really, I think is very dangerous to say and and very scary for someone who either gets a diagnosis or has a child that gets a diagnosis there is help and there is hope and and the more we are a community and the more we work together and the other thing about communities you have different people at different stages right you may have one person who's newly diagnosed and somebody who's a year into therapy and and that person becomes a a beacon of light for them right? Wow, I didn't think that was possible. And then we have, that's why the last piece about Mental Health Empowerment Day is we always feature a lived experience person or people because nothing is more empowering than hearing from someone who's gone through something. And there they are. And on March 2nd, we have an Olympic athlete who's going to be speaking about their um, story. And that's the thing. This is not Oh, uh, mental health doesn't care about any, it doesn't care if you're a male or a female or you're this old or that old or what color you are or, or what country you're from. This is exactly what you said, Noah. It's humanity. This is a human condition that we need to be not only normalizing, but helping people get better from. And education. And the, and the thing about it, and I think about this from, you know, cause I, you know, I have my, my religious brain, my religion brain and mm -hmm. in, in spirit, in, in Judaism, we have the importance of everybody being educated about living a so, good life, how to live a good life. But then you also have rabbis and teachers. So that, mm -hmm. you know, is equivalent to sort of like the therapy element. And then you have community or a coach or a coach, or a coach. Or someone exactly. gonna, coaching someone to go to, to ask a question, For the nuanced details of everything. Sure. And so what I'm hoping for in our society is that we stop just looking at mental health as being reserved. Like the, the, the gatekeepers of the researchers have the best tools and they, people go to therapy to get those things and the, the masses don't have access. What we want to do from an education standpoint is say therapy is very important and valuable, not for everybody and not accessible to everybody. Education and community are for everybody. And so it sounds like that's what you're on the front lines of right now. And I think that's really important because there's some simple skills and simple things we could be having people learn that really makes a difference. And imagine if that just becomes normalized in society, then we may actually not only are we helping people that are suffering, but we actually may be able to prevent things from happening. And that to me is where um, exactly. We need to like. There's a sweet spot in there that we can make everyone in the whole community, big, big community-wise, better off because and save a lot of money be, too. We can definitely <laughs> be right, saving people and our healthcare system a lot of money, and it's quite tragic actually that the what the pandemic has exposed is just the inequities that's it that the lines are very long that it's very hard to access help and that it's um made it 
it's just exacerbated the problem and that fee, you know, certain getting certain access to certain people and, and that often it is a, an economic thing. And that's just not fair because yeah. there's equal, like I said, mental health doesn't care what's in your bank account and, and having money doesn't prevent a person from having a mental health crisis. It, but unfortunately it may dictate how quickly they can access help. So democratizing. Education is a great equalizer for people. Absolutely. And understanding and training and practice people to, to be able to help people that speaks to that. You don't always need a psychiatrist that, that, you know, training peer support workers who either may or may not have lived experience. Clergy is a huge um, piece of the puzzle because people may feel comfortable because clergy usually has, you know, a, a very kind of, you know, they're sort of, we know we can trust them and that they're not going to tell people. So there's that. Um, social workers, just having more and more people trained to help so that it, you know, we, that, like you said, exactly, like we what sort of widen the tent or the triangle. So it's not just pointing only to someone who's trained, you know, who a psychiatrist or a psychologist, we need more people from of all different backgrounds who can bring all the other elements, mindfulness, spirituality, all the other things that can help people understand the way they think and live their best life where life will have ups and downs and there will be anxious moments and happy moments and sad moments because and angry moments because that's part of being alive and we shouldn't be chastising people for having a whole range of emotions we all do um and and so and i think the 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 main part of this and i want to ask you about a particular area of this education and empowering and community element uh, is just you know, if somebody's 14, 15 years old and they've, they're having intrusive thoughts, let's say maybe they're having intrusive thoughts that are violent in nature mm-hmm. and they, okay, so they might need therapy and support, but what if they learned when they were 12 that we have hundreds of thousands of millions of you know, thoughts flowing through on a weekly basis and thoughts don't define you and you can't control thoughts that are popping into your brain. You can control your reaction. Just imagine you had basic education a lot of the, the issues would be alleviated because people would know. Um, and I wish, I always say this, I, they should, we should be making bumper stickers or fridge mm-hmm. magnets that say, not everything you think is true. Or meaningful. <laughs> yes. And right. And, and not every thought needs to be assigned meeting. And mm-hmm. that it, that we can't exactly. Well, you don't learn that. <laughs> no. And we can't control what pops into our head, but we can, and, but if we stop feeling guilty about it or, or, or you know, um, scared of it and just let it happen and learn to do that, we're all going to be a lot healthier because we're not defined by having, you're going to have a bad thought. If someone cuts you off when you're driving, uh, I, you, would have, you would almost have to be a saint not to go, come on, guy, you know, or much worse, right? We all have that thought. That's a violent, angry thought. But if you don't react, if you don't act on it, it's just a thought. Okay. And it passes. Exactly. 
And so these are examples, not learning, not to ruminate, just we could go on for a million years about all the skills. And, but the bottom line is, is that education is, is empowering when it comes to this and it's going to equip a healthier, younger generation. Now, I want to ask you about your work with parents, because I know that you're super involved with parents and as somebody who works with youth as much as you do. And I do, we speak to parents all the time. Can you, can you help? me understand what are the most important things first and foremost that parents need to know about children's mental health so a couple things first of all it's very rare and i'm going to even use the word almost impossible that you a person in a home has a mental health issue and that it doesn't sorry affect other people so if a child or a young adult in your life that you love has a mental health issue it's, I would be, it's very rare. And I'm going to say almost impossible that it doesn't affect the other people. It's, it's, it just does. So I I think a few messages that parents need to know, first and foremost, the thing they ask the most is, is this my fault? And for the most part, all the research says, no, it's not your fault. Okay. There's many reasons why a person may have a mental health issue and and some of it is temperament that the way God created them and they came into this world and and parents their their DNA is pumping through that kid that's not a choice Um, some of it is circumstance right so you know when we blend those two things the same thing can happen to two or three kids in a family you can all be in an earthquake and some kids will be like, oh, that was noisy. And other kids, you know, what will not be able to go to sleep again for without getting some sort of intervention help or will be traumatized. So parents need to know that not everything is their fault, either genetically or because of what they did or didn't do. I think that's a really important message for parents. And I think it's important to realize that we have to be empathetic, that as parents, especially of a young of a teenager or a younger adult, that we have to remember um, that we can't, that sometimes our children are gonna to talk to us and tell us things and they're really not asking for our opinion or our judgment. Sometimes they just wanna vent, they wanna talk, they just want you to, to listen. And that parents who constantly jump in and problem solve, oh, I'll let me- call Let's go to the doctor you. right now. Yes. We're gonna-, we're gonna- we're going to get you an appointment tomorrow with, with the best therapist in the city. Right. Or let me call that professor or I'm going to call this person's mother or however they're going to do it. Isn't, isn't helpful because <laughs> we're not skill building. We're not teaching children to problem solve and to step back. That might not even be what the kid is asking. The kid may just be asking, can you just listen to me? Listen to this problem maybe help them evaluate, you know, is this going to matter in 10 years? Is this going to matter in 25 years? Have you ever faced a problem like this before? And, you know, maybe um, telling them that your life hasn't always been moments of rainbows and unicorns and just some reality checks on, on life, which is difficult. It, 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 no one ever said it's not the way it is in a book or on television or in the movies. Life is hard. 
And I think it's important sometimes for parents to realize that their job is just to listen, to empathize, to try to help problem solve um, and not quickly jump in and fix. I think that's a really important message. And I think it's important to model that if you need help, you should get it. That asking for help is not a sign of weakness. So whether it's solving your math problems, learning how to drive, doing, I don't know, dating, whatever it is that young people are struggling with, that you might not be the expert as the parent, but maybe we can ask someone else to help. And that help, seeking out help is a sign of strength. There are very few people in the world, and again, I'm gonna say maybe none, who doesn't, don't need help with something, right? Mm. Um, and we need to be modeling that. And it's okay to show our children that we're also vulnerable, that sometimes we need help. So not being this all-knowing, stoic person, I think is helpful. And the last lesson I would say is really important is to teach children that helping other people actually makes you feel better. This idea of whether you call it charity or, you know, in Hebrew, it's tzedakah in other, each, you know, language and each religion may have a different term for it, but it's really about giving a little bit of yourself, whether it's your time, whether it's a smile these days with these masks, as masks are coming off, smiling at somebody may really make their day, you know? And, and if we teach kids that from an early age, you, you really, and this is proven also scientifically, you, you usually get back more than you give. If, you can, if we can teach people to be empathetic, to be understanding, to give, to be charitable and kind and not judgy and nasty, they will learn to be kind to themselves as well, which is a critical thing in adolescence not judge, um, you know, uh, negatively judging yourself all the time, which is what teenagers tend to do. Um, and also just understanding and having some ability to understand that other people are going through things too. And that if you can just step back and not label everything and call everything out um, and be a little more charitable with your comments, your time, your smiles, those are lessons I would want parents to teach their children. And I think, you know, that's four things that are pretty easily done, but can go a long way um, in kind of setting up an environment that kids can feel um, safe to not be perfect, to safe to present when they are having some kind of difficulty and know that, you know, you have their back and you love them instead of, you know, it's your fault. It's my fault. It's his fault. It, it, that doesn't help anyway. Right. It really, so what? <laughs> so you've assigned blame. Okay. It doesn't, we're here. This, we have a problem now. It doesn't even matter how we got here. If my tire gets flat when I drive over a nail. What good does it do to help me to know, oh, I, I, they should have cleaned up the construction site. Yes, they should have, but I, I still have a flat tire. And I still got to solve this problem. So I think that we as parents have to model some of these things. Like, you know, 
it's, so we got, it's going to be okay. We got four main ones and I, I know I'm going to get, okay. Not everything is their fault to be yeah. far more naturally responsive with empathy as opposed to problem solving right away. Or jumping into fix. Or jumping into fix. Or helping them learn to problem solve. Or helping them to learn. And the third? The third one would be um, model asking for help. That asking for help is a sign of strength. That if if you can show kids that sometimes you ask for help, or to be honest, and some kids hate when I say this, ask them to help around the house from a very young age. That they're part of this wonderful little unit. Yes. At least three people or maybe two, which is also fine. It's still a unit, right? Right. Helping each other is a huge piece where I can't do this, whether it's I can't reach this that a little kid would ask or, you know, I'm overwhelmed with, you know, what I hear from high school students. I have too much to do and I don't know where to start. Imagine if we would have taught them initially like, okay, instead of going do this first, do this first, but okay. Let's figure out what you have to do. How long do these things to take? You know, but if I didn't have to mow the lawn now, I'd have more time to do my physics. So is there a way you could trade that with your brother or your mother or your father so that you can get more time? Because sometimes they're going to have an issue and you can like learning simple little helping each other. And the last one is about, um, you know, Sadaka and charity and compassion and and helping others that right. i mean i know that's a huge piece of uh, of empathy but empathy is kind of just well one is empathy for you for for the, the child and the other is to teach the children uh that sometimes what's really good that they can do for their own mental health is to be involved in the world and helping other people correct and that and that's a huge piece because it takes people out of their self-centeredness and their self-wallowing um, and brings them into a, a, a part of themselves that's greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is super important. Now, the one piece that I, we haven't gotten to that I want to ask you is that you, you said in one of your interviews uh, about Mental Health Empowerment Day in relation to parents that parents are often the first to know when something does not seem right with their child, but they don't know what they are seeing or where to turn. And they don't to, wish to share these pr- types of problems because they feel shame. If they only did share, they would learn that many of their friends are experiencing the same thing in their homes. So sometimes a child might come up to a parent if they have that intelligence to do so. But what about parents that are either keeping their head in the sand because they're nervous, they don't know what to do, they're scared, they're afraid, or they don't know how to talk to their kids about it? How do you broker a conversation with a child with a child when you know, or a youth or a young adult, when you know there's something wrong and, and you don't know where to start? Well, my answer may be a little deceiving, but you may not be the best person, okay? You may need, that may be the time to use whatever I said was number two or three, asking for help. There may be somebody else in their lives that could be their guidance counselor at school. It could be their aunt. It could be, or uncle, you know, uh, it could be their spiritual leader. Like, I know, you know, I think, saying to a child I see that you know you've been incredibly sad nervous stressed you can use whatever fill in the blank there I you know I'm happy to talk to you about it and if you get pushback saying then let's 
figure out if there's someone else in your life, not my life as the parent, but your life that maybe, you know, it could be a cousin. It could be like, is there someone else in your life? And, and knowing sometimes kids just know that it's okay to do that, right? That, that, you know, you're not breaching any familial confidences or, you know, as long as it's a trusted person, that's not going to, you know, put it all over the internet or something like directing them so that you could say, I, when I have a struggle, sometimes I speak to, I don't know, my best friend or my this or my that, maybe that'd be something you would consider. You know, if it's hard for you to go, I'll go with you. That's one of those times where I'm guessing your answer is going to be no, but you can at least offer or, you know, some kids feel, um, a lot of kids feel shame. Like there's something incredibly wrong with them. Some kids feel like they're breaking family confidences if they share these things. Other kids are worried that this may cost money. And, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there's lots of, I hear that a lot. Like, I don't want to put my parents, you know, it's going to cost money to talk to someone. So I'm just instead going to, you know, suffer. I think it's about not being confrontational, but being, yeah, using your empathy, empathetic skills and being able to say, you know, I would like to help you, but if, but I may not be the best person is, mm-hmm. can we, you know, helping them think of someone else may really actually cre- create a, a comfort zone. And that may be, you know, like a peer support work. It may be someone who's more their age. It mm-hmm. may be somebody who's gone through it before. Um, they may feel, you know, kids and teens these days might feel comfortable doing it on the phone or on the internet and not actually physically going somewhere so that no one has to see them go. Like we have, you know, to me, these are like silver linings of the pandemic and maybe kids have known this for a while, but we older people have just caught on to the fact that you can have these face-to-face kind of quote unquote face-to-face conversations with people without having to be in the same place. And I think that's, really, really important um, thing that parents can do to just say, you know, um, I get calls like that a lot from a parent who will say, my child is suffering. Could you talk to them? And my first question is, do they want to talk to me? And look, I'm, and I'm, I realize I'm just one little person. It's not me, Leanne. It's me, um, therapist, Leanne, therapist person. And if the answer is yes, I, I literally always say yes. Because if, if a kid, if a parent has broached to a kid that maybe an outside person or someone with some training is willing to talk to them, I think that's unbelievable of the kid to say yes, because it means they want help, which means they want to change, which means they know they're struggling, which means we have a chance of giving them an answer. So I, I think that that's not a bad question for a parent to ask someone, can, can, can we look, can we help think of somebody who can um, guide you better? Because, you know, that might not be my role. Just like, I don't think it's ideal when parents are kids, teachers, you know, mm-hmm. like there's gotta be some, I don't know, boundaries, 
right? You don't want your mother in the classroom or on recess duty. You, you just, you just don't. So it's, yeah. And, and so my first, the, the, the double, uh, the double thing there is, is, is a number one is to ask yes. first and foremost to not, not speak. So that was the subtle thing is, but you don't keep your head in the sand because as you mentioned in your interview, parents are often the first to know when something does not seem right with their child. You are very important, but what you basically need to do on some level is say, I'm 100%. I, I can sense that there's something wrong. I don't want to take up too much space right now. I know a hundred percent, you know, I'm here for you, no matter what, whatever you want to talk about, I'm here. But I also just want to put that out there that if there's anybody else you want to speak to, let me help you even facilitate that. Um, and, and, and I think the other piece in there that's really important is I see something isn't right, or I've heard or whatever, however it comes up. Um, but it's okay if it's not okay, because we can, there are, we can help you get tools, whether it comes from me, amazing. But if it doesn't come from me, parent, there are people who can help you. As I think when ki a kid is struggling, again, they feel very isolated. So like you said, you can notice that things aren't okay and say, if it's not okay, I still love you. I just want to help you, right? Yeah. So that the kid doesn't feel that you're coming down on them with, well, you should be okay. I gave you a hundred dollars or whatever it is. You should be okay. You're, I sent you to the university you want it or, you know, anything. I give you the car when you want, or you have food or whatever sort of parental guilt ridden statements so that you, that the kid gets the message that if they're struggling, people struggle. So let's get some help here is I think the, the sort of the subtle thing I would add, and I noticed this, I, I don't want you to suffer. And if it means I have to drive you here or spend this money or mm. whatever, that's okay. And you know how for the kid, because I mean, I've heard clients say this, that is so, I, I love the word empowering, but it's so empowering for kid to go, wow, my parents are willing to admit that I need help and that it doesn't mean they're the worst parents in the world or whatever other like that they're just acknowledging the fact that mental health is a mental health issue is real because we wouldn't tell a kid don't wear your glasses we wouldn't tell a kid don't tell anyone that you're diabetic because now kids usually are have that thing on their arm and they're gonna you know don't you know so we, we can go a long way to normalize some of the things they're feeling so that's less couched in shame. We've got to take shame out of this. I, all, I often say to teachers in particular, and I am one, so I don't feel bad saying this, but like people don't choose to have a mental, they don't choose anxiety, okay? You would never choose to have an anxiety disorder it hurts. It's painful. It takes up your headspace. It exhausts you. It prevents you from doing things, often things you really enjoy. And you would rather break your leg because then you have a cast and people feel bad for you and carry your books. And six weeks later, if you're young, you get, it comes off. And if you need to, you maybe do a little rehab and then it's over. 
a, a mental health, you know, if you're struggling with an anxiety disorder, it, it, it's usually takes a lot more work and doesn't give you that same sense of instead we're you're getting the message there's something wrong with you there's not something wrong with you they didn't choose it they're not trying to disrupt your class they're suffering so help let's help them and not blame them or drug them so they don't make noise because that's not the answer either Big, big topics there. We, 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 we'll yeah, we won't go. At, we won't go to that. We'll one. leave it at the right. outer edge, because um, yeah. certainly, you know, and, and I totally get what you're saying. Is there's so many other solutions. I mean, obviously, for many people, medication's a huge lifesaver uh, for so many people. I mean, I work with so many people, so I experienced that. But it, but but the facts of the matter are is that there's so many things we can do as parents, and. And as, but I think this goes beyond parents. I think this goes with friends. I think this goes with teachers. You can't, yeah. al- you might not always be the first line of support uh, that they need. So for example, your parents should not be your teacher, except my right. wife, uh, her teacher in grade three, I think was, was her mom. Um, so maybe, maybe but there's that may be a, no, but that may be a unique yeah. experience that worked, you know, well, and, I have maybe, to ask. I have to and ask maybe, both of them. But maybe that's also okay when you're nine. Yeah, exactly. Nine years old, eight years old is but very But when different. you're 16, no way. <laughs> yes. No. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance. Yes. 16 year old yeah. want. And that's actually been part of the issues with the pandemic is mm. parents and kids having natural boundaries. When kids have been in school in their houses and their parents are hovering, um, that's not healthy for either of them. You're not supposed to know what your kid's doing in class every minute when, you're, when your kid is in grade 11. It's actually, I've actually said to parents, it's actually not your business. And if there wasn't a pandemic, they'd be in a building and you'd be in some other building and you wouldn't know. So, so no play-by-play. Play. No, no play-by-play. Right. No coming in and telling them to get off their phones. If that's what they're right. doing, in a real world circumstance, there's a teacher there and that's their problem. It's not your problem. So putting this all together, uh, and I really hope parents that are listening can really just do their best to implement this. And, and we hope to, to, with Resolve, be more of a support in that area. But what is the final word of hope that you want to share uh, to the audience that's listening, which are going to be both parents and, and young people? that there's, there is hope, General, it, it, like not like just blanket statement, there is hope, there is help, there is research always being done, there are new things being learned. This is not 1940 when we didn't have really as much understanding of the brain and the way the brain works. And, and yes, medication is an important piece to this for some people, um, but other treatments um, and there's a range of treatments out there. There's, you know, I've been mostly talking about CBT, but there is DBT and there's mindfulness and there's um, others, you know, brain stimulus training and there's lots of things that can be done. So no one should feel helpless. That's one that there's that you're the more, you know, that's real information, not stuff you're getting on TikTok real factual information um, will be there will help you and that it that 
as a parent or as a child that getting support will help, that, that you should not feel alone and that that community that exists because you're not the only person in the world, um, that you should seek that out because like I said, there's someone's in a different point of this process. This may be new to you, but there's somebody who's been, who's six months ahead of you and a year ahead of you and five years ahead of you. And they're going to provide you with an unbelievable sense of empowerment because they've gotten through it. And those are the people that we should be highlighting because it, it makes us all feel better, right? To know that there is, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel and that, that this, I think my last comment would be that people should not be introduced as their diagnosis. I'm not Bob with, I, I, you know, I'm not anxiety Bob. I'm Bob and I have a struggle with anxiety and I'm doing something about it. I mean, wow, like that's a huge difference that mental health diagnoses, just like physical health diagnoses are maybe a part of who you are, but they're not the definition of who you are. They're just a piece of a really complex puzzle of being a human and that we should um, embrace it in the sense that find, that there is a way to live a full and wonderful life, but it's gonna take some work. So there is hope, there is help, and there is more to us than, than our struggle. Yes. Than, the, than our anxieties. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on and for helping us. We really look forward to Mental Health Empowerment Day, which is coming up on March 2nd. We will you put- can, We yeah, can tell sign up for free. Sign up Go for to free. Sign up for free. It's a, an event on a Wednesday night. It's at 7.30. We have- uh, an amazing doctor from New York who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about um, adolescent mental health and the state of what's going on. We have a doctor from Toronto who's going to be interviewing and discussing with him. And we have an Olympic athlete with her mm -hmm. empowerment story. If you go to www.mhed, mhead as we call it, .ca, um, you can go, there's a link there. You sign up for free and Hopefully that will be an hour of all those things, education, building community and destigmatizing um, around the topic of mental health, which I love to talk about as I started. Just Perfect. Started. Thank you so much. And of course, a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve2v's.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course... Come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two V's, .ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs.
Till next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>